Here's how we'll start this morning. We're going to start the way we always start. Uh, kids, young ones, if I could have your attention, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to uh, help you understand what this passage in Romans is going to be about. This is a big passage in Romans uh, and uh, what the sermon's going to be about. So, true story. Not kidding. True story. Uh, I guess this was like maybe a year or two ago. Uh, we went over to Miss Ryan's house. So my wife, Miss Ryan, went over to Miss Ryan's parents' house. Okay, so we, we go over to uh, Ryan's parents' house because they live right on the bayou and there's this gigantic beehive in their backyard. And, and it's like, it's gotten dangerous, like just thousands and thousands of bees everywhere. <clears throat> but they don't want to kill the bees. These bees are really, really special. <clears throat> they want to save them and they want to take them out to a farm where the bees can make honey and, you know, everyone's happy. So they call this beekeeper. And this guy comes to the house, and he's super kind. He's a really, really nice guy. And he starts telling us all about bees. And he tells us, like, he tells us all these crazy, crazy facts about I mean, he knows everything about bees. Like, things like, did you know honey never expires? Like, honey from bees, like, it never goes bad. Ever, ever, ever. And it's the one thing that humans eat that insects make. So he's like telling us this crazy stuff, like bees fly, he said something like 55,000 miles from flat, like in between flowers to make like one pound of honey. <clears throat> it's crazy. Uh, he said bee colonies, he's like, you know how many bees are out there? He's like anywhere from 30,000 to 60,000 bees, and only one of them can be queen. Like there's one queen, and I got to go find that queen, and if I take the queen with me, then the rest of the bees will follow. So, and he's got like these poster boards, like he's telling, like all about, bees. like he came to like teach us all about bees. It's crazy. <clears throat> and then he pulls out his suit. He's like, and I just got this new special suit. I've got another suit, but this is like my new one. It's lighter, like, and, and so, you know, really excited to use it. And, and so he gets out there and we're like, this is crazy. This is going to be so fun. So we're, he's like, y'all have to stay inside for safety because they're about to go nuts when I take the queen. So he goes outside, he climbs his ladder, we're watching this from inside the house, he climbs his ladder, and he gets up to the hive, and he, and he does this, he, he goes, ah, 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 and he falls off the ladder, we're like, oh my gosh, and he gets up, he's going, oh my, oh my god, oh no, the beast got me, the beast, they're in my suit, I brought the wrong suit, in my, and he like, we're freaking, like, oh no, and we run out of the house. We're like, run it. Come on, come on, come on. And he runs into the house. And he's like taking off his suit. And like there are these bees everywhere. He's got like bees in his mouth. Like no joke. And we're like, are you okay? He's like, oh, I don't know what happened. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know what happened. They got me. Bad suit. I shouldn't have worn this suit. It was the wrong suit. We're glad he was alive. We got him medicine and Benadryl and all that stuff. And he's okay. But <laughs> this guy... Woo, he spoke really highly of himself, didn't he? And it didn't work out, did it? That's what you call boasting. Uh, and uh, and uh, this is what we're going to be talking about today. Kids, do you ever think of yourself like that? Like, let's be honest. Let's be, uh, before we just yell out, no, no. Like, let's be honest. Do you ever talk about, and you don't have to answer yes or no, just in your head. Do you ever, you ever talk about a friend or someone else you know, like you're nicer than that other friend who's actually really mean, or that you're smarter than that other friend, or that you're just better than that other person? 
Do you ever talk with other friends about other friends like you're better than that other friend? Do you ever think like that? I, we all, kids, here's the thing, is like we all boast about ourselves. We all think really, really highly of ourselves. Let me ask you this. Let's say you went to heaven. Right now you went to heaven. And God looked at you and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? <laughs> Thank you for that answer, Peyton. Because I'm so good, right? Which is, of course, is not what we want to say, but I guarantee you it is in our hearts. It is in our heads of like, I hope God loves me because I'm good. Like, I hope I'm good enough for God. Like, that boasting is in our heart before God, but that, is that going to work? Is God going to say, all right, Peyton, you are. You're so good. I'm going to let you in. Is God going to say that to Peyton? No. Now. Is he going to say that to any of you kids? No. None of us are going to be able to get into heaven because we're so good. How do you get into heaven? Anybody want to say, anybody want to venture? Go ahead, Grace. By believing in God, by believing in Jesus, it's all, you know, Grace just answered for us. Like Grace, Grace's name, Grace, all because of Grace. Uh, because of what Jesus, like you put your faith in Jesus, not in yourself, that he lived for you, that he died for your sin, that he was raised and he's beat it. That's faith in Jesus. That's how we get into heaven. Not, not boasting in ourselves, but boasting in Jesus. That's, what we need. That's, that's really what Paul, this is a big passage this morning. That's what Paul is going to tell us uh, from beginning to end. We have nothing to boast about in ourselves. We have everything to boast about in Jesus Christ, and that's really, really good news for all of us. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word, which comes from Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19 to the end of chapter 3, verse 31. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. 
So we are actually moving really quickly through our uh, series in Romans, if you haven't noticed. We're, we're actually going to do Romans in 18 sermons, an 18-part series. And that, may, like, that doesn't sound quick. It is. It is super quick. It's a super quick way to get through Romans. Uh, because there's so much there in Romans to unpack. But part of unpacking all the amazingness, awesomeness of Romans is recognizing the flow of Romans. So you've got, you've got a, you know, math of God on unbelievers, both Jew and Gentiles. And here Paul moves, he moves from that bad news to the good news of the gospel, that it's, that it's the power, the gospel is the power of salvation for anyone and everyone. All unbelievers, Jew and Gentile. And what we want to notice here is that the way this passage begins and ends the way it's book-ended, this is part of that flow. It's book-ended, beginning and end, end uh, with this problem of boasting. Both for unbeliever and believer, this problem of boasting. And that's going to help us hear the gospel this morning. So at the beginning, like, did you catch Paul referring to the law stopping every mouth? The law stopping every mouth. And then at the end, the gospel stopping every mouth. So there at the end, he says, in light of the gospel, Paul asks, verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? In light of the gospel, what becomes of our boasting? And Paul really does mean our boasting. Because this is, this is personal for Paul because this is also a problem for Paul. Before Paul was a Christian, uh, he struggled with boasting. When he became a Christian, Paul struggled with boasting. Because before he was a Christian, he, he really had something to boast about. Because of his Jewish pedigree, his prestigious family and heritage, his upbringing, uh, his esteemed education, his accomplishments as a Pharisee, and his like, meteoric rise uh, in the Sanhedrin, which is the governing body of Jewish uh, religious leaders. Paul was the Jew among Jews. And then, when he became a Christian, he had even more to boast about, because Jesus made him, made him an apostle. When Paul was converted, he becomes an apostle. Paul went from public enemy, number one of the church, to, uh, you know, from the church's biggest persecutor to one of its apostolic, Jesus-commissioned leaders. And, 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 and then you get everything that comes along with being uh, uh, an apostle. Like, like, the, like through Jesus' extraordinary gifts to Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul had apostolic authority like authoritatively could interpret the Old Testament. The authority to speak God's words. The authority to author God's special revelation, the New Testament. And to back it all up, he had the authority to work miracles. Uh, and, and, and how about, and then there are all those religious experiences that Paul had. Like Paul literally met the risen and glorified Jesus Christ. Paul had visions of Jesus. He had revelations from Jesus. And Paul even tells us in his previous letter in 2 Corinthians that Paul was once caught up to heaven itself. And the experience was so indescribably glorious and awesome, Paul isn't sure if it was a vision or if he was literally physically transported to heaven. He didn't even know. Now, how tempted would you be to boast as if you were something really awesome, superhuman, if you were Paul. And because Paul was not superhuman, he was tempted to think more of himself than he should, both as an unbeliever and a believer. 
So boasting was a big problem for Paul too. And it, it's a big problem for everyone. And, and it's this thing of, it is a really big problem, boasting. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18. And he says this, he says, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, he says this, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And we hear that, and we're like, well, yeah, we know who the bad guy is in the parable. Like, it's the self-righteous Pharisee. And yay, tax collector who knows he's crooked and awful. Uh, but, the, but, but put yourself in the place of like those first century Jewish religious leaders who are hearing Jesus say this, when they hear the parable, like they hear, okay, wait, they hear the Pharisee saying, God, I thank you for what you've done in my life and who you've made me. Okay, why is that boasting? If this guy's praying it, and he's praying it in the temple, thanking God for being a good person. And Jesus wants them to see it's because he's thanking God that he's a superior person as he looks down on the inferior tax collector next to him who is a terrible sinner. And that feeling of superiority, it is everywhere in the world. It's everywhere. Uh, there's ethnic boasting. There's racial boasting. There's social class boasting. Political boasting. Intellectual boasting. Relational boasting. Like, who do you network with? Who, who are your friends? You know, you boast in success at work. What your body looks like. What you can do with your body what you can do with sex, what you can do with your money, just your everyday basic wokeness and your anti-wokeness, uh, uh, that self-righteous stuff of my side is right, your side is wrong. And not just wrong, your side is offensive. I may not be perfect, but thank God I am not like him and I'm not like her. That, that stuff is in the church. And sometimes that boasting is loud and it's vulgar, and sometimes that boasting is passive and it's very polished and subtle. But, this is directed at you, like, but why would you, and I mean like you, I'm talking about you, like why would you think, say, or do anything to boast that you are superior to any other person on the face of the earth? You're not, but you do it. So do I, like all the time, in a million ways, every day. And, and sometimes the way this self-righteous superiority manifests itself is it looks like inferiority. You know, you've got to ask, like, why do we here, why do we struggle with inferiority complexes if we think we're like the tax collector? And we've come to God and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you pray like that, you have confessed to God that you are the inferior one. But we look at our friends, and we look at our peers, and we look at our neighbors, 
and we look at celebrities, and we look at our enemies, and we struggle. We struggle with feelings of inadequacy. And we feel deficient, we feel inferior, and so we compensate excessively and aggressively. And it becomes this vicious cycle where you go around, we go around thinking, I'm always thinking about who I am, and I'm always thinking of what people think of me. And there's a reason. There is a reason this problem runs through all of us. And Paul points it up. Verse 27, he says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. And it's there, and it's easy to miss. There's the root of the problem. But there's, there's, there's some, this is just worth pointing up because of where we're going in the weeks to come. There's some disagreement and confusion in New Testament scholarship about something that's here. So some scholars... Some scholars want to say that when Paul says law right here, he's referring to the Mosaic law. So he's referring to like the law covenant given to Moses at Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, that that law covenant. So these scholars interpret Paul to be saying this, that then what becomes of our boasting? Is it, It is excluded. By what kind of Mosaic law? By a Mosaic law of works? No, but by the Mosaic law of faith. As if Paul were saying... If you will look at the Mosaic Law as being really about faith, that will exclude your boasting. That is not the right interpretation. That is not what Paul is, that's not what Paul's saying because the Mosaic Law is a law of works. And even in this passage, Paul has started to point out this law gospel contrast. The, the real differences between standing before God on the basis of your works versus standing before God on the basis of grace and faith. So the RSV translation, really, really helpful here. It's got a really helpful translation in verse 27. It says this, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? This is getting at what's behind the, the covenant, uh, uh, Mosaic covenant, what's behind versus what's behind the new covenant. So it says, then what becomes of our boasting is excluded on what principle? On the principle of works? No, but on the principle of faith. Hey, now that is an amazing series of rhetorical questions, and you do not want to miss the awesomeness of the rhetoricalness like right there. Does the principle of works, like follow this, does the principle of works, does that exclude our boasting of ourselves? That is, If you try to earn your way to heaven, if you try to stand before God on the basis of your works, if you try to merit God's favor by obeying the law, is boasting excluded on that principle? And you'll want to say, yeah, that's what Paul's been saying. If you try to earn your way to heaven by being really good and obeying God's law, you're going to be in big trouble. So the the principle of works does exclude our boasting. What do we have to boast about ourselves before God? Like, look at the law and how it shows us we're terrible. Right. But Paul says, wrong. Did you catch that? Like, Sinclair Ferguson, the pastor, professor, pointed this out. It was so good. Like, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On the principle of works? No, Paul says. To which we want to say, like, wait, wait. 
you just, Paul, you just said at the beginning of the passage, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You can't be justified before God on the basis of following the law because no one really follows it. So how is that not the right answer, Paul? The principle of works has to exclude our boasting. And Paul's point is, well, it should, but it doesn't. That's the whole, that was the whole point of giving Israel a principle of works to live by was that it would expose their inability to earn God's favor by keeping the law because they couldn't keep the law. And so it was supposed to make them run to grace. Now, this is really important, verse 19. This is how the passage starts. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The the law is supposed to shut your mouth up. That was the point of the law. But it didn't exclude Israel's boasting. This is a gross story. No, this is super gross. But it's a, it's a cool story. Uh, 16th century, Mary, Queen of Scots, was executed under the orders of her cousin, Queen Elizabeth uh, I. Okay. After she was beheaded, for 30 minutes, her mouth kept opening and closing. It's gross. And, and I'm sure the doctors here could give you the medical physiological explanation of why that happened. But... I don't, I don't care. Uh, but because what it is, though, what it is, it is a picture. It is a picture of where we are, like in and of ourselves, like by ourselves before God. Every person, every person who stands before God on the basis of their own works, we are dead in our sin by ourselves. But we insist on talking back to God. And our mouths keep opening and closing boasting as if we had something to boast in our dead selves that we're not as bad as the Bible says we are. And hey, I'm better than other people. We're better than others. And who do you think you are, God, to judge me as if you were, I don't know, God? The law is supposed to shut every mouth because it reveals that we are guilty before the judgment seat of God but we keep boasting anyways. And this is, this is where like the so what for us. It's not just an Israelite problem. Remember the flow of Romans? Paul's already said this in chapter 2 that even the Gentiles are without excuse because the law is written on their hearts. It is on their consciences. This is in every single one of us. This, this thing of boasting in ourselves is in every single one of us because we are all descended from Adam. Because every human being is born with this principle of works in our heart. Because before the fall, we were supposed to stand before God on the basis of our goodness. And then the fall. And we, but we still want, because we're all from Adam, we're all born with this thing, we still, even us, want to stand before God, boasting in ourselves. It's ingrained in us to prove ourselves. This principle of works, and it does not exclude our boasting, and it never will. 
So then, Paul, Paul, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded on what principle? On the principle of works? No, but on the principle of faith. Only the principle of faith will exclude our boasting. And it's because you're faithing, and that word faith is like, it's a verb too in the, in the Greek, because you're faithing, you're believing in something else, in someone else, not you. <clears throat> what you're faithing in, it, it's bookended here. Now, I'm about to read a couple verses. This is like, we talked about the bookends. Here's what comes in the middle. There is so much here. Just bear with me. And we're right at the end. <laughs> Just listen here. We are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who is faith in Jesus. I know there's so much there. We're at the end of our time. Principle of faith, justified, redemption, righteousness, propitiation, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, but just... Give me two seconds. Uh, right here at the end, that simple, this, there's this simple phrase, God had passed over former sins. That's going to help us with the flow right here as Paul is going to spend the rest of the letter unpacking all of this awesomeness. But right here, that one phrase, God had passed over former sins, that will get at the flow of God's wrath, boasting in ourselves, law, faith, gospel, bringing it all together. Just, Verse 25, when it says passing over, that's the only time this word appears in the New Testament. The only time. It's the only time this is here in the, in the Greek New Testament. But scholars tell us, Greek scholars, wonderful scholars tell us, that this word's definition from other contemporary Greek sources at the same time, they tell us it, this is. This is passing over. In the sense of suspending punishment. What it does not mean is that God, like, passed over, like, ah, you know, God abandoned his desire to punish. Like, let's just drop it. Like, let's just sweep it under the rug. It's in the past. No big deal. Let it go. As if God had become indifferent to sin and his wrath and justice. That's not what it means. What it means is God passed over former sins in the sense that he suspended his punishment. And what Paul is referring to here is the big salvation event in the Old Testament. The Passover. I think this is the best illustration of what Paul is saying here. It's, it's actually an Old Testament story. Uh, in Exodus 12, you know about the Passover, Exodus 12. Uh, Moses, let my people go. He comes to Pharaoh, let my people go. He says, no, 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 no. You know, the ten plagues, you get the ten plagues. Okay, well, the tenth plague uh, that God sends against Egypt, uh, because Pharaoh refuses to let his people go from slavery, he, the final plague is God comes and says, I'm going to kill every firstborn. Every firstborn son I'm going to kill unless you kill a lamb and then you paint your roof with its blood. God, he, God says he's coming for everyone. This is a universal judgment because everyone deserves God's judgment and the firstborn represents the family and the future of the family. So this judgment, it excludes no one. It includes everyone. It includes Egyptians and Israelites, the rich and the poor. Everywhere in Egypt, someone is going to die in everyone's house. Either the firstborn or you've got to kill a lamb and spread its blood all over your roof. Everyone is guilty. There is no one who can stand before God by themselves on their own goodness and be declared innocent and righteous. 
Uh, the only reason anyone, any firstborn, was spared that night was because of the blood of the Lamb. Like, no Israelite was spared because they were better than their Egyptian slave masters. No one was spared that night because they were morally superior, knew their Bible better, more spiritual, more intellectual, because they voted the right way. The only way they were spared was by God's grace, symbolized in the blood of that lamb. Here's the really cool thing. In that Exodus 12 passage, which we're not going to read, but you hear about this stuff of Passover, passing over. There are actually two verbs there in the Hebrew. that They're both translated Passover. Passover is a really good translation for one of them. It's not the best translation for the other one. Uh, uh, that, that God will pass over in his wrath, killing uh, the firstborn. The, the other verb should not be translated Passover. It should be translated cover over. Because what God tells Israel in Exodus 12 is that during that dark night of death, that final plague, the Lord will protectively cover over his people as an abiding, shielding presence, and he'll pass over those that he has covered over. It, it, this is what, this is, it's, God is not saying, oh, I'm just going to pass over you like no, sin is no big deal. God says that if you take the blood of the lamb and cover over your household with it, then I will pass over you to execute my wrath on the firstborn, uh, 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 on the firstborn of the Egyptians uh, and you. So the glorious reality of that Passover night was that the Lord protects his people from the coming wrath by personally covering over them and putting himself between them and the wrath of the destroyer. And who is the destroyer? It's God. So God protects his people from himself by covering over them, guarding their blood-marked doorways against the entrance of the destroyer so that his wrath will pass over them. And it's this thing of like, okay, wait a second, now, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, that is not an adequate, excuse me, that is not an adequate sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And that's true. And the true believing Jews believe this. They did not believe that, that the, these sacrifices, the, these lambs slaughtered, were bearing God's judgment against human sin. God did not forgive them because uh, by the means of these sacrifices, these sacrifices pointed ahead to the true means. Uh, and God, of course, knowing what was coming, knowing this is all of his plan, that's what Paul is saying here. Is like, yeah, he passed over those former sins knowing the true means was coming. The true means of salvation. The true means of covering over. On the cross, Jesus becomes our cover over as the wrath of God passes over us and it falls on Jesus. He cover overs us and he puts himself between God's wrath and us, freeing us from the power of sin and death. That, that Jesus that cover over, that is who you faith in. And the principle of faith, when that is what you are faithing in, it leaves no room for boasting. The moment you boast in anything other than Jesus is the moment your faith is diminished and boasting sneaks back in. As long, hear this, like this is going to sound crazy. It is true. As long as you are thinking that there is some part of your relationship to God that is grounded on some measure of your obedience, 
that is when you start looking at other people and saying, better than him, better than her. It is the gospel that will exclude the superiority, the inferiority, the self-righteousness because your dignity, your hope, it is all in Jesus. There's no need to boast in anything you do. There's no need to uh, boast in anything that you are. There's no need to fear any of your failures. Faith, listen, faith isn't even the basis on which you are saved. Faith is not the grounds on which God looks at you and says, great faith. Now let me bestow on you the blessings of heaven. Because then you'd still have something to boast about. Like, like, hey everyone, come see how good my faith looks. Like, no, like you can't even boast in your faith. Faith is just the means by which you receive God's blessings. His heavenly, eternal blessings. The basis for the bestowal of heaven on you, it's Jesus it's his per- perfect obedience. It's his life. It's his death. Faith is not a work. It's empty, it's empty hands. And you've got to have empty hands, faith alone, to receive as a gift all that Jesus has earned for us. And the moment, loved ones, the moment you believe, the moment you faith this in Jesus, you are eternally saved. Jesus' life his death. It accomplished your salvation. It's not as if it's up in the air now based on how you're living your life. It's not. It is finished. Boast in that gospel. Let's pray. Father, this news, it sounds, it just sounds too, it does, it sounds too good to be true. Uh, that, uh, that through faith alone, we can have all that Jesus has, has won for us. Father, uh, it, we keep running back to, no, I've got to do it, I, I, or I've got to help Jesus do it. I've got to do half of it. I've got to do a little part of it. Lord, help us again to turn from our boasting, to turn from that principle that is ingrained on us, uh, Lord, to, to have the eyes of faith that you have gifted us through the power of your Holy Spirit indwelling us, that we really would look to Jesus, that we would stop looking to ourselves. And when we look to ourselves again later today, we would repent, we would turn and look again to our Lord and Savior, fix our eyes on Jesus, and bless us here to help each other fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to point each other away from ourselves into our risen Lord and Savior and to faith in Him today and tomorrow and the next day. And we pray you would preserve us in this faith. In Christ's name, amen.